Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Our opening quote today comes from George Bernard Shaw, who once said, Newspapers are unable to discriminate between a bicycle accident and the collapse of civilization. If today's show has a theme, and it it, it usually does not, uh, today's theme would be, I think, the media. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, briefly, about a trip I made to Minnesota last week to attend the Public Radio News Directors Conference, where I had a chance to meet uh, Neil Conan and uh, Todd Mund and a few others, which was quite um, a rare treat for this correspondent. Um, we'll also talk in our second segment today with... Dr. Ron Bayman from the University of Illinois, who will talk about the analysis of the 2004 presidential election exit poll discrepancies, a subject which should be, in our opinion, page one news across America, but which is just not getting much traction. We're going to do what we can today on this show to reverse that. In our third segment, we'll speak with Lyra Halperin, who is a KDVSer, actually, talking about um, a commentary she put together about uh, about wearing her daughter's insulin pump, something that was quite a moving experience for her. She translated that into a commentary which aired first here on KDVS and uh, then made it on to a national program on NPR and was heard across the U.S. That should be very interesting listening today in our third segment. Our opening stat for the day, according to the Wall Street Journal, China graduates four times as many engineers each year as the U.S., the, uh, the counterbalancing statistic, which I do not know, is what the ratio is of lawyers in China and lawyers in the U.S. Of course, one could argue that uh, China is matching us per capita because there are four times as many Chinese citizens as there are Americans. Nevertheless, with a much smaller uh, uh, infrastructure of higher education relative to the population, they are absolutely keeping up. And on this date in history, May 19th, 1588, a massive fleet known as the Spanish Armada sailed for England from Lisbon, Portugal, bent on conquest. Fortunately for what would be called, I guess, the future um, separation of church and state, the Armada ran into storms, and by the time it reached the English coast, the English were ready, and the the so-called Invincible Armada was beaten back. Thus, the uh, stringent form of Catholicism of Philip II uh, was not established in the British Isles and subsequently in the English colonies of North America. I just looked down and realized that I have another statistic, which probably should have been the statistic of the day, but we'll, we'll, let, uh, we'll let the Chinese engineers stand. But how about this one? So far in 2005, California is more like Tornado Alley than Oklahoma. There have been 20 tornadoes in the state, including 12 in the Sacramento area, which is more than in the Oklahoma City metro area. 
Now, I'll grant you the ones we've had have been sort of mini tornadoes, not like the kind we're used to seeing, but uh, that's an odd one. Uh, one of our perennial favorites on this show, uh, the Week Magazine's Good Week for Bad Week for section, we have the following. It was a good week for Chinese restaurants last week after 110 people from several states won from $100,000 to $500,000 each in the U.S. Powerball Lottery by betting on a series of numbers they'd found in a fortune cookie. And it was a bad week for Crying Wolf, and I don't know why this story isn't page one across the U.S., but former Homeland Security Chief Tom Ridge said that the Bush administration repeatedly raised the terrorist threat level in 2002 and 2003 to high, based on flimsy intelligence. Ridge said, There were times when some people were really aggressive about raising it, and we said, for what? Of course, as you'll recall, this is something that we pointed out uh, many times on this show. Uh, And and now we've got it straight from the horse's mouth. Tom Ridge saying, "Um, some people, some people, who are these people? Some people were really aggressive about raising it. And I guess even though he's the the head of the Homeland Security Department, he um, let him go ahead and raise it. We'd like to thank our listener, Jeffrey, for uh, answering our, our query, our plea, to find out uh, how it is that N-N-diethylmetatoluamide became known as DEET, the mosquito repellent. Of course, it's, it's effective also, we should note, against flies, fleas, chiggers, and ticks. But uh, Jeffrey made an inquiry with the Fresno Westside Mosquito Abatement District, and they, they said, well, the diethyl must be the D-E-E, and the T must be toluamide, but you know... Um, as I wrote Jeffrey back, it seems to me that really should be DEMT, D-E-M-T, diethylmetatoluamide, not DEET, D-E-E-T. But if you think about it, DEMT is pretty hard to say. So I think they went with whatever sounded easier. Anyway, thanks, Jeffrey. And thanks to Chris, who wrote that said that uh, we might enjoy the, the Edward R. Murrow 4 box set DVD that's going to be released uh, later this month on Docudrama. Of course, we did a... We did a show on Edward R. Murrow with, um, with Bob Edwards, who had written the book, Edward R. Murrow and the Birth of Broadcast Journalism, last year. And we had a chance in that very same show to speak with Dan Shore, who was actually one of the last of the people hired over at CBS by Ed Murrow. And, and actually, another one of Murrow's boys, Richard C. Hodlett, probably gave us as good an interview as anyone ever has here on, on this program. And, uh, and uh, all those should be available on the website, if not today, then in the next week. I don't think Chris has had a chance to see those uh, those box set of Murrow, and I certainly haven't, but you know, I'll just bet that it probably is something worth taking a look at. Let's talk a couple minutes about uh, about the trip I took back to Minnesota. Um, very interesting to meet Mr. Neil Conan. He is, uh, he, what's remarkable about Neil Conan and Talk of the Nation is that he never went to college. He brought uh, a news uh, news reporter's background to what has got to be one of the great radio shows in America. Um, I told him that I had a chance to see him um, uh, doing a show last year at, at Prindy in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, I was joined at that time by our general manager here at KDVS, Stephen Valentino. We both uh, were sort of blown away at the rapid pace and, um, well, just what a tight ship they run at Talk of the Nation. Had a chance to speak with his producer uh, at dinner uh, one of the nights and, and brought, brought this study we're going to talk about in segment two to her attention. Whether that means it'll uh, find its way on a talk of the nation, I, I, I sort of doubt, unfortunately, but, uh, but we were doing our best to spread the word. Um, 
at this conference, uh, they they covered topics such as, uh, well, the usual things you'd expect at a talk show conference, how to get the best from your guest, uh, some tips on, on how to do that. They talked about uh, how to promote on and off the air. They talked about how you can evaluate a program's success. Perhaps the most interesting um, of these sessions was on uh, was the last Friday when Charles Meyer, the managing director of Best Practices in Journalism, talked about how to seek balance. And it, it was interesting. They are quite obsessed with this idea. Um, although, to my mind, commercial broadcasting does not uh, does not do equal time anymore. They they uh, you know. Here in, in Northern California, when George W. Bush appeared down in Stockton, Tom Sullivan from KFBK acted as his host. Now, there was no great, I don't think, hand-wringing or, uh, or worry over seeming partisan over at KFBK. They were actually just reveling in the idea that you know they were acting as Bush's spokesman. Um, in NPR, of course, uh, the consensus seemed to be you would not be right, it would not be correct and proper to attend a... Um, party held by the mayor that was for invitation only. If, if it was any kind of exclusive list, then you as a journalist should not go. That was what most people thought. A vocal minority felt that, uh, you know, just because you're a reporter doesn't mean you give up your rights as a citizen, and that attending a, a party with a mayor might be a way to, uh, you know, um, cultivate sources to develop a good working relationship. It didn't necessarily mean you would be tainted by your familiarity. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting issue. A great deal of time was spent on the idea of um, maybe falsely creating balance. Like, like, how would you do a creationism show? And the angle that had to be dealt with uh, was the fact that people are pushing for it. Therefore, it's in the news. Therefore, it has to be addressed. But how do you cover that story? You're creating a false sense of balance if you put creationists and uh, so-called evolutionists together. Uh, Recently... um, in Kansas, various people were just simply boycotting these procedures going on at the Board of Education to try and get creationism instituted. And by giving these people a forum, you're creating a false idea that there is a, more of a balance there than there really is. should note, too, that one, uh, one segment that was uh, well-received in Minnesota was a talk by my boss when I'm over at KXJZ, Jeffrey Callison, host of Insight, who was joined by Barbara Bogave from Weekend America, to talk about uh, how one should go about starting a talk show. Insight, of course, has been very successful over at Capital Public Radio, and uh, and that is owed to the work of Jeffrey Callison, uh, Carl Watanabe, and, uh, of course, producer Benjamin Jonas Keeling, as well as our technical director, Mark Jones. I, I am privileged to sometimes sit in that chair over there when Jeffrey's on vacation, and uh, it is it is indeed a privilege. I mentioned Todd Munt, too. I was, I, you know, I was very sorry when Todd Munt went off the air. I think he was one of the shining lights of, of, of NPR. I, I told him how much we appreciated his show and that we wanted him back. And he, you know, uh, appreciated the sentiment, said, you know, maybe I, I will. Maybe I will. We'll, we'll see. And, and I certainly hope he does. I, I told him straight out that, you know, we consciously imitate him and have said so on the air. I think most people realize that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, unfortunately, I was I was trying to get Todd to agree to come on to do an interview and talk to you, the listening public, and Barbara Brogave sailed in and, and diverted the conversation elsewhere. So uh, I haven't given up, though. I'll, I, I will try and send him an email. I think it would be great to talk to Todd Munt. 
a subject that came up at this conference in Minnesota and also in an email sent to me by Jerry before I left last week is the fact that, uh, quite interestingly, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting has got some Republican uh, members, specifically the chairman of the board, Ken Tomlinson, and, and some cronies, have been doing their best to create so-called balance to public television. Tomlinson hired a consultant to inspect the content of NOW with Bill Moyers, a program that consistently criticized the Bush White House. And uh, one by one, CPB's professional broadcasters are being replaced with Republican partisans. Uh, in the email by, from Jerry, it was noted that there were two national public opinion surveys, which Tomlinson and others are keeping under wraps. Because they show that uh, the public is happy with PBS and NPR programming by an overwhelming majority. This turned up in two separate opinion surveys. Uh, no doubt uh, Ken Tomlinson was dismayed when after doing a survey uh, last year, or actually in 2003, it showed that public broadcasting has an 80% favorable rating in this country. I mean, find something in this country that's got an 80% favorable rating. Only 10% of those polled had an unfavorable opinion of PBS and public radio. PBS's news and information consumers, it notes, were highly supportive of such programs as NewsHour, Frontline, Morning Edition, and All Things Considered. More than half of those surveyed believed that PBS news and information programming was more trustworthy than news shows on the commercial networks including ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, and CNN. 55% of the public said that PBS programming was fair and balanced. NPR received an even higher approval rating for its programming, including perceptions that it is fair and balanced. 79% of respondents thought so. So despite such glowing numbers, uh, Kenneth Tomlinson, the Republican chairman of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, is aggressively pressing for public television to correct what he and others consider a liberal bias. We should note that Mr. Tomlinson has close ties to presidential advisor Carl Rove. All right, three final items. Uh, I did note in Minnesota that uh, the St. Paul Pioneer Press publishes how all the congressmen and senators vote. Uh, you don't see that on a regular basis in, in the B. I mean, um, maybe it's there. I, I certainly don't see it as prominently noted as it was here in the pages of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. That's a good thing. We should do that. I also know that if you live in Minnesota or Wisconsin, apparently you can go on the streets and pick up a copy of The Onion for free. So I naturally snagged one, uh, which had a memorable headline. Cupid shooting spree leaves dozens infatuated. Last item uh, for this segment. Um, well, last week, one of the big stories, and still, I guess, uh, for many months between now and, and fall, one a, a, a story in, on the back burner of some import is the fact that uh, there's going to be base closures across the United States. Military bases are going to be closed. I was uh, sort of tickled by the USA Today analysis of this that showed that there'd be a shift of troops and operations to the south and west, noting that Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and Texas would do well in this rearrangement. Uh, by the way, those were all red states that Bush carried in the 2004 election. They're going to gain. However, Connecticut, Maine, and New York are going to lose. And by coincidence, those were all blue states in the November election. 
I love this shameless welfare uh, aspect of these military bases. Uh, apparently in, in South uh, Dakota, Senator John Thune, Republican, uh, while running his campaign for Senate last year, had Senator Bill Frist, Majority Leader, show up in South Dakota to assure voters that Ellsworth Air Force Base, the state's number two employer, would have a better chance of staying open if Thune defeated Senate Minority Leader Tom Daschle. Who's the president going to listen to more, Frist asked last May. Not, he suggested, a senator from another party. Uh, Thune now says that closing Ellsworth would weaken America's homeland security. Well, that about does it for this segment. Let's take a short break and then come back and speak with Dr. Bill Bayman from the University of Illinois at Chicago about a statistical analysis of what happened last Election Day. A curious thing did happen, as all of us recall, watching the uh, predictions that uh, John Kerry was going to win that election that were prevalent by mid-afternoon based on exit polling. And how, of course, um, things didn't quite turn out that way. Well, some folks have analyzed the statistics there to see what they could determine, and um, stay tuned for that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.